Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Friday night, a night where there is never a conflict. We are always ready to talk comic books. There is no way anybody would schedule anything that one of us would want to pay attention to, uh, me specifically. But guess what? We suffer for our art. Our art is comics and crowdfunding, and we have two creators who are absolutely kicking ass. So I'm going to... uh, pause a little football game and please dear god don't tell me anything about it in the comments i do not want to know uh so if you come on please no no football talk uh to kevin i've turned my phone off uh no comments no comments no comments and let's talk comic books um so jeff you've been on the show before so you know we do this 30 second pitch when you were going to talk about magic powder at a comic convention how would you uh do it to get somebody's attention So the first thing I would usually say is magic powder is like Lord of the Rings meets the Sopranos. Or sometimes I go with it's like Dungeons and Dragons meets Breaking Bad, which I feel like is a little bit more of what it actually is. So I started switching it up to that. And right now I feel like it's the only comic book of its kind. It's crime. It's fantasy. It's a little action packed. It's a little sad. It has a real world feel due to Danielle's backgrounds. So it brings a little bit of everything that you're looking for that's been missing since Game of Thrones ended. Now the House of the Dragons back. I guess there's a little <laughs> bit more, a little bit more of a conflict, but it's still not as urban as what we got going on. It's not as contemporary style-wise. So it's basically like a world like that if it, you know, evolved for another three thousand years. All right, let, let's go with not urban and not contemporary, Josh. If you were going to get my attention on the Winchester Mystery House at a comic convention, and I know you've done some comic conventions, so I know you've got this honed. How would you do so? Um, so the Winchester Mystery House is based on a true story. It's about one of the most haunted mansions in the world. It was built by Sarah Winchester, the heiress to the Winchester repeating arms fortune. And after mysteriously losing her entire family and inheriting half of this massive fortune, she decided to spend the rest of her life dedicated to the dead, building this gigantic labyrinth that is meant to only house spirits, the ghosts of those who've been killed by the Winchester rifle. And it's thought that those ghosts still live in all those rooms to this very day. Nice. All right. So I was in my own head. Will, how the heck are you? I've survived the week. 
I am that in a is, good place. <laughs> that is that is a huge and beautiful thing. Uh, a, a very a very close friend said, "I'm still alive." Uh, just about ten minutes ago. So <laughs> being still alive is a huge uh, huge uh, win nowadays. Um, so. We normally go into a big deep dive, but um, I wanted to tell both creators I had the chance to read your comics today, both Winchester House uh, Volume One and Magic Powder uh, One and Two, and I, but just the the quality of both comics is just as top notch as they can be. So before we get into it, I want to say I actually did my homework, I actually read your comics, and they <laughs> are both extraordinary. So I want to tip my cap my backwards cap to you on that um let's uh let's go through the labyrinth like we said jeff you've been on and josh hasn't yet so let's go through the labyrinth um how in the heck did you um come upon this story first and get the rights to tell it second josh so uh i've been familiar with with the house and some of the the history behind it and the lore that's been surrounding it for the past century for, for quite a long time. It kind of appears in a lot of the like top 10 most haunted places in America, magazines and lists. And I've seen documentaries and things like that. And the way that this happened was we originally weren't even pitching a comic book. Um, we have a game, a board game called Floor Plan. Floor Plan is like an architectural design game where you're trying to basically build, like design these dream houses, meeting these client specific needs. And we were talking to uh, one of our game designers, John Brieger, um, and somehow the Winchester Mystery House came up and he said, wouldn't it be awesome if we made a whole new version of the game that was just themed around that house and your client is sarah winchester and her demands for this house are exceptionally strange and odd and, and like the real houses and we're like i was like oh my gosh i love this idea so much we have to approach them with this we have to talk to them about this and we did they took a meeting with us and um you know we started pitching th this game you know that we we put together a really nice pitch package and uh, they were really impressed with how much I knew about Sarah Winchester and about the history and the kind of like deep, profound respect I have for her, which is so true. I, she's just, she's amazing, amazing human being. And, um, and they started asking me questions and they were, you know, they said, what did you think of the movie? Uh, for those who don't know, there's a movie out, it's called Winchester. Um, and I said, I love the film, um, but it takes place very late in her life. Uh, it's kind of near the end of the story. The house is mostly built. I said, and I feel like you missed about three decades worth of story, like a crazy intense story of the construction of this house and of the building up of this haunting. And um, I said, I think her story is best told episodically, you know, throughout time. And they said, well, don't you guys run a comic book publishing company? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And they're like, it sounds like maybe you right, might be the right partners to help tell that story. And um, I was just blown away. We ended up uh, getting doing both the game and the comic. Um, and uh, it's been like a dream country ever since. And originally, I didn't think I would have time um, to write this myself. I was actually looking for a writer to hire for this, but I couldn't quite find somebody who felt as strongly about it as I did. Um, so I decided to just to take it on myself. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad that I did because it's just been such an amazing opportunity. I'm loving it so much. I'm working on volume two right now and I'm just, uh, I'm just over the moon with uh, the success of the book. I'm blown away um, by it. I'm uh, just, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Everybody has just been so supportive. Well, like I said, I can see the passion on the page. So I'm, I am glad you didn't just kind of farm it out to somebody who would have just did, you know, the three days of research and started working on a script. So I'm glad you had that because, you know, I, I'm, I always think of the Quentin Tarantino thing. The audience doesn't need to know everything about your characters, but they need to know that you do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's I think it's pretty obvious that the history of this, I, as I was reading it, I, I felt like I was in good hands. I didn't feel like uh, this was a fly by night script. So I, I'm glad you didn't, um, you know, just kind of 
there's a lot of good writers at SourcePoint. I'm not going to say there aren't, but I'm glad <laughs> that you you took it because the passion is on the page, and that's the important thing. Um, well, and and you're doing uh, you're kind of going, you know, with BackerKit, which is you know that's new. That's certainly not something that I've done or, or Kevin's done at this point. Mm -hmm. and so that's very interesting to me. Yeah. What's your experience been like? So um, BackerKit doing their own crowdfunding campaigns is brand new. Um, and it's invite only right now. Um, so you can't go there and hold a campaign just yet. It's in beta mm -hmm. testing. Um, so they invited a handful of companies that they really loved um, that, you know, they had done, they had done backer kits for off of Kickstarter mm -hmm. campaigns. And they had looked at our campaigns, uh, you know, on Kickstarter and were thought we would be a really good partner to try to test this out. So um, it was months in the making uh, before they launched. We had already lined up, um, you know, campaigns with them and started talking about it with them and really kind of helping give our feedback on what they're doing. And um, it's been great. It's been a really good partnership. There is definitely a there's a hump to get over because uh, m I would say most Kickstarter backers have a backer kit account, but they don't they either don't realize it or there's kind of a, a mentality switch where they're like, oh, wait, there's a new, it's a new platform. I don't mm -hmm. oh, know. Like they don't, they don't, you know, the idea of having to go sign up for something, you know, new. And a lot of them don't realize that they actually don't have to sign up for something. Most of them have a backer kit, you know, password right. and whatnot. Um, but it's, uh, I've been very lucky. The, uh, um, the reaction has been great. I mean, the, the, if you look through the campaigns they're holding, there's only a few. There's only, I think, maybe five live ones right now. Um, but they're all just doing phenomenally. Um, they're doing really well. They're off to a really great running start. And, you know, backer kits really bided their time. I mean, they know so much about the crowdfunding uh, industry because they've been helping to fulfill campaigns for years now. And right. now they have lots and lots of great data and they've looked so closely at other crowdfunding platforms and said how can we how can we do this a little bit better how can we streamline this a little bit so it's kind of a i think a logical step for them to take this on and uh, we've cool. been excited to try it out well i know I they've got some great um you know promotional stuff you know like backer kit launch which i've used uh, you know hey yeah. cards on the table i love backer kit <laughs> and the email campaigns yeah the email campaigns with backer kit launch really yeah. intuitive um they really especially if somebody's kind of new to this and they don't have a very specific strategy or mm -hmm. realize like you know this is when you have a campaign you work every single day i mean it's nonstop, mm -hmm. and you don't always know what to do differently you don't always know like well geez am i just repeating myself over and over and one of the things that they you know are really good about is they will actually kind of give you a, like, listen, on this day, you should say these things on this day, <laughs> repeat what you said here on this day, you should do something new and you should target mm -hmm. this. Like they have a very built out strategy to help you. And I feel like that's amazing because, uh, so many people just, they, you know, they put so much love and effort into getting their campaign up. And then once it's live, it's like, they don't know what to do with themselves. And, right. and they feel like they're badgering their friends and family and they don't know the best approach to take through you know week two week three it's uh it gets tricky yeah i want to i want to stay on the spain but tightrope had a, a comment uh the audiences can also spot when the passion is missing especially on topics a given audience member holds closely and i bet there there is a a big audience of the winchester house that you had to to play to uh, so have you, have you gotten any, uh, positive or negative criticism from people who knew of the house before they knew of Josh Warner? Yes. Uh, lots, <laughs> lots of it. Um, lots of positive or lots of negative or just everywhere. <laughs> I've been really lucky. It's been very positive. Okay. Um, I've had a lot of hugs. I've had a lot of people crying. Um, I've had a lot of people showing me their Sarah Winchester tattoos, oh. um, uh, by the way, hi James. Thanks so much for being here, man. I really appreciate that that comment. Uh, the uh, it's been it's been amazing. I did I I had a, a scared moment. So sometimes, depending on I've been on just touring nonstop this year, right? So I've just been in a different city like every other weekend. And um, I was in Toronto recently, 
um, which I, where I don't expect to run into Winchester mystery house fans at all. And, uh, <laughs> uh, one, it got me across the border when we were about to get in trouble. We ended up playing the Winchester mystery house card and it worked. It was the guy's like, Oh, you right about that place. Is it crazy? Have you ever been there? Like all this stuff. <laughs> oh, um, but then, so I'm at the booth and someone, you know, one of my employees comes up and they're like, Hey, there is a woman here asking for you by name. And she's pissed. She's really angry. <laughs> and I was like, uh, in, okay. In Toronto. Okay. Um, like, Does so, anybody ever angry in Toronto? Uh, Right, right. I didn't know that's possible unless we're when the Maple Leafs get eliminated in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Like (laughs) the Raptors, Maple Leafs, Blue Jays losing. That's the only thing I can think of. So I walk, I walk up, and I don't, I don't know her. I don't recognize. I've never seen her before. And uh, she's like, "You, you, Josh Warner." I'm like, "Yeah, hi, nice to meet you." She's like, "You write the Winchester Mystery House?" I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "I have a bone to pick with you." And my husband has been hearing all about it. Now you're here in front of me. So I'm going to let you have it. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm really bracing myself. She said, when am I getting the next issue? When I got to the end of issue three, I screamed vocally scared my whole household and said what <laughs> i was like oh trust me it's coming you know i'm so sorry thank you i guess i don't know <laughs> what to say i'm sorry thank you yes yeah i was very lucky to have issue four coming because that is a pretty good uh, not really cliffhanger but good moment in a comic book on i will not spoil it for people who haven't gone in but i can see having that that uh that reaction if i had to wait for issue four um yeah i I told josh i asked him to send the pdf today because i had i knew i had issues one and two i was going to pull those out um and somehow i have two copies of issue two so i don't know what i did when i ordered them or how that happened i could have an issue one in a different box did you get both a and b cover I know I, they're the same cover. They're they're the same cover. Like so, I don't I don't know what I did. I don't know what I did. You know, like it was at the beginning of the pandemic. I was drunk and tired and scared. Who knew Who knows what I was doing? You know, like I'm I'm buying from Midtown Comics. I'm gonna keep them alive. And oh, there's Source Point Press. Heck yeah, I'm buying that. I'm buying that. <laughs> so I don't know what I did, but I appreciate you letting me uh, catch up on the story. Um, as you go through Backerkit and you're working with them. Uh, what do you think they've taken that are not necessary? Because I love Kickstarter and I am very happy with the fact that it exists, but Will and I are also happy that there's now a zoo and a crowdfunder and a backer kit because, you know, kind of like having fertile soil in many different farms is better for farmers, I think. So sure, what do yeah. you think that they've looked at what Kickstarter maybe has not fixed or been a little stagnant on and maybe improved on? I don't want, I don't want to like rag on Kickstarter because I wouldn't no, be I here agree. without them. But yeah. what, what do you think Backerkit has done that maybe, maybe they've, they've done a little better at this point? I think, I think the differences are subtle. Um, I think that, but they're there and it's, I think it comes down to how intuitive and streamlined the process is, um, setting up the campaign and the, the launch page and, uh, and managing everything, um, Mm -hmm. in real time and seeing how all of your, how your campaign is doing, how your efforts are doing and seeing exactly where all of your traffic is coming from. It's all laid out in a way that's very, very easy uh to use and understand sure. you don't feel lost you're not searching for anything um it's just it's very intuitive um interface and i've i've been really happy with it and you know it's uh this particular campaign is scary for me because um out of all of the campaigns backer kit has done so far this is the only comic book one this oh, is wow. the very very first comic book campaign that backer kit has ever done um, so there is zero precedent, uh, for com- like comic book success, I guess on their platform. So you've actually had the worst comic book campaign ever on backer kit at 18,000. <laughs> so that is the floor it's that true. we as other creators can expect, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the bar and you've got to blow right past it. Yeah. Um, I, uh, and you know, so far 
I'm seeing a very uh, similar trend to how a Kickstarter campaign would go as far as the ebb and flow. You know, you get a really great running start on the first day. Uh, your second day you're pushing and pushing, but it's, it's, you know, you're still seeing the results and then you're terrified for the next six days in a row, <laughs> you know, and then you start, you know, you start seeing your efforts pay off again. Um, and I'm sure at some point we can talk a bit about some of those efforts, like some of the particular things I did to bring backers, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm happy with it so far. I'm really pleased. Do you, I'm gonna do ask you, you feel like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, go ahead. Well, I'm just going to say, because I'm on the page and I'm looking at the, the floor plan. Um, you know, we, we all kind of get the, the names of certain backers who are with us over and over and over again. Do you feel like this campaign is a nice even mix of your games followers and your comics followers? Or do you feel like you're getting more of one or the other? Excellent question. And the answer might surprise you. Um, uh What's really nice about BackerKit is BackerKit is already connected to every Kickstarter we've ever ran, right? Mm -hmm. So I can see exactly how many of the backers of this campaign have backed any of our Kickstarters in the past. And I can see which ones of them came from games, which ones came from comics. And um, what's wild about this particular campaign is the majority of backers are brand new people. Wow. Not only are they brand new to um, uh, to me, you know, to, to SourcePoint or or any Oxide Media companies uh, campaigns, it's they're also new to crowdfunding. Um, period. Like for a lot of them, this is the first time they've ever backed anything, and that is really humbling for me because it's like wow i you know I, I'm, I'm reaching new audience and breaking new ground mm -hmm. and convincing people to come try out crowdfunding and it's it's kind of cool but i think it's specifically because i have put all of my efforts into um marketing the supernatural um mm -hmm. aspect of this and and targeting like true crime you know fans and fans of like paranormal uh stuff in history and not com i'm not aiming for comic book fans or game fans mm -hmm. that being said i'd say like out of the people who are showing up uh it's a very even split uh most of them show up because they've heard of the house uh in general um but what i can say is that the game fans are being more negatively vocal <laughs> so oh. it feels like there's a lot of game fans but really, when you kind of look at it, it's it's so that what the game fans complaint is, is that there isn't a game only tier and mm. that is by design, because the ah. idea that this is not a campaign for the game. This is a campaign for the centennial edition of the graphic novel. And if you would like, you can add on the game, uh, which is coming out anyway. And mm -hmm. to you is the opportunity to get it before it hits stores months before mm -hmm. it hits stores. You'll be like the right. first to own the game. If you want to wait for the game, you can, and you don't have to back the campaign. But wow, have people been vocal about it? Oh my God, there's people who are getting angry, like downright angry about it. Uh, and we kind of like, you know, we talked to Backer Kid about it because they were like, do you guys want to change this? We're seeing like a lot of complaints. And I'm like, I think, no, I think we'll stand our ground on this and we'll just explain ourselves and be like, this isn't, the campaign is for the comic and you can get uh -huh. the game if you want. It's end of story, but every single tier will include the comic book. And, and it's a great deal. The $45 tier... Yeah. Uh, has the game and, and the book. The book's 25 so it's like getting $10 off the game. And that is by far the most popular tier. So I think it's doing fine. I'm not too concerned. Yeah, and $25 for a four-issue trade paperback is a, is a perfectly solid price point as well. Yeah, and you, you mentioned something that I that I, I kind of have a, a problem with with Kickstarter is that insight into your previous backers. You know, because if, if we want to message our previous backers, we have to go to each campaign, which mm -hmm. means, you know, when because Ke Kevin backs me, the sucker, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to get, you know, four messages from my four previous campaigns about the new campaign that he's already learned about four mm -hmm. previous times. So it's, you know, with with the backer kit, you can message them all at once, you know, and you okay. get that insight into them. You're like, oh, this is, you know your backers are coming from this, this campaign and this camp. It's, it's, it's really it's cool. They're really great with the metrics. So I'm, I'm glad that those, those metrics are really working as part of their, you know, crowdfunding stuff too. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. 
because I worry about that. Actually, my dad woke up one day and he's like, "Why'd you send another update out like you know two days in a row?" And I'm like, "No, that's from the other campaign." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and if you're a lot of people that, yeah. Think that yeah, so you'll get like a, a magic powder. You know, Jeff Schiller from Magic Powder Number One sent you an update. Jeff Schiller from Magic Number Powder Two, two <laughs> sent you an update. But like, didn't I just back Magic Powder Three? But yeah. when you when you backed a lot, you you know the game. But as a creator, you also try not to do it too much. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, what What are some of the things you guys do to um, try to counteract that feeling as a creator that you're over emailing your, your previous backers? Um, do you guys have anything for somebody who's watching as a creator? I sometimes will change like the images I send and like the six ones, like two, two updates will have one photo, two will have another and two will have a, a third just to make it. Just like, sorry, guys, you're going to have to read the same thing, but at least you can look at something different that's pretty. Um, <laughs> Yay, Ludo. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, um, like you said, change a couple things. Not so much the image, probably more the text, just because I already have the image in mind. But yeah, sometimes I probably do both. It depends because like, you know, at the beginning of a pre-launch, you know, within that one or two day area, I guess I'll spread it out. You know what I mean? And, but like, say now I'm in the middle of a campaign. First week I contacted my first three Kickstarters. But now I've only hit one up this week. Next week, I'll probably hit up another one. Next week, I'll hit up another one. Instead of just hitting them all up over and over and over. Because like you said, I mean, I don't know if it's 50% over or whatever. But yeah, I'm not trying to annoy everybody. They already know what's going on. I, you know, enough people are following that I know they took those links already. So it's like, you know, if you're not getting those follower numbers on your campaign or the backer numbers, then you better start sending out a little more probably. Yeah, but there's nothing worse than that that, that um, email the day after it closes saying, "Hey, when is that campaign you've been yeah. talking oh. about going to launch?" You're like, but the best feeling is when someone hits you up, like say on Twitter or something, like, "Oh man, I forgot," or you're like, "I didn't even know you're running a campaign." And these are people you talk to literally every day on Twitter, <laughs> and it's like, man, is the algorithm that effed up? Like, yeah. that someone like, I mean, I even have it in my name, kind of towards like, "Oh, Jeff's on Kickstarter right now," you know? And it's like they still don't know. And like, yeah, and so like, yeah, that's the worst is when they they missed it. But the best is like right when you get them at the end and they're like, oh, I got on. I'm like, yes, thank God. Actually, you know, that, that brings up a really good question. I, I, you, you said that the ebb and flow is pretty similar to Kickstarter. You know, you have a, a pretty steep climb at the beginning, a, a more gradual climb throughout the, the campaign, and then, you know, the bump at the end typically. So I, I'll, I'll be curious to see if that kind of holds true, you know. So I I've been taking a few different tactics to try to, kind of keep the email campaigns fresh and uh i'm really really happy with how it's going and um i'll kind of share some of this with you guys because this might be useful um so i've been doing all of the fan expo locations around the country mm -hmm. and uh uh we are as a company are the one of the biggest sponsors of fan expo so all of the badges at the shows have you know, have like RIPs on them, which is really cool. But um, one of the other things that we uh, have been able to do through our sponsorship packages, we rent um, badge scanners. And what they do is you scan uh, the badge of an attendee and you get their contact info. And these are all extremely warm leads because, you know, it's the info that they use to get their ticket to get into Fan Expo. So, you know, it's active info. And it's also, you know, they're at a Comic-Con. So, they're likely to be your type of person, right? Your type of person. So it's it's a lot different than like paying for somebody who isn't interested in you to scroll past your Facebook post, right? Right. Um, and then what we did was for for weeks and weeks and weeks leading up to this campaign, I put thousands of ash cans, uh, Winchester Mystery House ash cans, out on a table at every show every day, and gave them out for free in exchange for a badge scan. But mm -hmm. every single time I would talk to the person, tell them about the story, tell them about the history, get them into it. I would sign it for them. And a lot of them, they, they only stopped because they heard something was free. They, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't necessarily going to come to our booth. They weren't mm -hmm. necessarily going to make a purchase. And sometimes what we, they would, you know, stick around and make a purchase and that's great. Sometimes they would just leave, but either way they left with something free. That's not going to end up in the garbage, something mm -hmm. that signed a memory and experience and having FaceTime with me for, for a, like a good amount of time. And I would just, I literally spent my entire time, you know, 
from beginning till end of the show every day, just doing that and talking with these people. And then what happens is uh, the convention compiles all the information from all of our badge scans and they give it to us and we get all that info and we attach to that show. So uh, when we made the landing page for the backer kit, what I did was I sent out an email to every single person who visited our booth and got a badge scan at that city. So everybody mm -hmm. from Boston got an email and it was a very personal one from me. And it was from the company, but it had, right. you know, quote from Josh Warner, writer of the Winchester Mystery House. And it had a picture of the booth and a picture of me. And for instant recognition, like, oh, yeah, mm -hmm. I did. I was at that booth and I did see that guy. Oh, I, I know what this is. He gave me a book. And and it's me saying, I love chatting with you. I had such a great time hanging out with everybody. I love talking about the Winchester Mystery House with you. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed the ash can. Um, now uh we're about to launch this i wanted you to be the first to know about it if you liked what you read and you want to jump on board you know um you, you can click this button and you'll be notified upon the launch uh so i just kept doing this for weeks did you did you find it was a problem that your postscript read f you red sox tigers rule <laughs> I, I thought when i read that i thought maybe that was uh um, just a, a, a small mistake far. on your part but but hey if it, if it worked so here's our previous campaign. We, sold it. <laughs> we had we had like 300 something people uh, sign up in advance, you know, to get notified. And then check out the number on this one. Wow, nice. That's Not amazing. bad, right? Yeah, it's gorgeous. So uh, we did that. I did that for every city. And then um, once we launched, I put all of them into one big thing. So I have like all of our fan expo friends in one big email blast and then all of the crowdfunding friends in another one. And then we have like our regular customer, you know, email sign up uh, base too. And um, across that, that's like 50,000 yeah. people. Yeah. People and I think amazing. you've got such a floor that you haven't had your games people or your comics people be part of the tsunami that this last 11 days could be extraordinary for you guys. Yeah, um, so. <laughs> says if Josh followed the tigers, he would know you can't say they rule right now. Yes, that was definitely, <laughs> definitely a geography joke not a knowledge of baseball. Standard, <laughs> Cause I, uh, I, I, I don't know any of that anymore. 162 games is too long of a season for me anymore. But uh, all right, Josh, hang with us. If you can, let's get into magic powder, Jeff. Um, yeah, you talked about like uh, Lord of the Rings and stuff. I, I really, I, I don't know why. I think I thought it was going to um, hold more on the comedy side, but I really liked the, um, the, the grittier, darker tone than I expected of this. Not that there weren't some panels that I didn't think, you know, had a little bit of gonzo action that kind of made me snicker, but I... I I liked what you're doing, so please, um, with magic powder, let's let's in case somebody's new new they didn't weren't here at the beginning, uh, let's reintroduce it and let's talk about how it came to be. All right, so magic powder is essentially Dungeons and Dragons type of fantasy world, you know, sped up into, you know, almost a current day, but it's not really a contemporary time. It's almost like a, you know, it could be any time. Almost it's like when you watch the Batman the animated series. You can't mm -hmm. tell if it's the 50s or it's the 90s, that kind of thing. Like, there's going to be different kinds of technology that don't really go together. It has nothing to do with our world, basically. Right. But it's just, like a, you know, almost like a futuristic, I guess you would say, version of a Dungeons & Dragons fantasy world. And then within that, you know, it takes place in a city with no laws. And then the main characters are the people who've taken over that city and control that city. And an elf who wants to control that city from another, you know, he comes from a whole different country. Elves aren't really welcome that that much in uh, Fez, which is where it takes place, because uh, you know they're they're basically a bunch of straight laced characters, and they're not really into drugs and stuff. If there are elves in the town, usually they're there because they party in a town pretty much nearby, and they're coming to get drugs, or they're like reporters trying to tell other people in the elf country, Jatir and the city there, like what's going on in this crazy, you know. Or, you know, outlaw town of Fez, basically, which was an old, like back in the day, like thousands of years ago, this was the elf capital, but they found, you know, more fertile land and somewhere else after they won wars and they decided to move on. And so in some ways, like some elves still hold 
Fez is something to them, you know, what I mean? so they want to know about it. That's another reason why the reporters are there and stuff. So how far back um, do you go in your research for this? Are you like watching like noir noir movies from the 40s and 50s or, or where did you go back to find the elements you wanted for this series? I mean, like, it's hard to say, like, going back wise, I feel like I'm always watching these things like my whole life is really like, you know, I love obviously just classic films. Uh, now that television's having its golden age while I was growing up, you know, pretty much all the best shows I've already watched a million times over and over. Mm -hmm. Every season I was catching them as they were coming out, rewatching the episodes, waiting all week, stuff like that. But, um, you know, as far as like what got me to really make this, it was a show called Gamora from Italy. And I was watching that because I was running out of things to watch during the pandemic. And, uh, you know, you see Italy how it is now, at least this part of Naples and stuff, uh, Scampia. And it's it's just like, you know, a project, there's these projects called The Sales. And that's basically almost like, like you know, just where it all takes place. And it's a bunch of drug fighting. You know, everybody who lives there, stuff like that. The main characters are all from the Camorra, which is another kind of uh, Italian, you know, mafioso, other than like La Cosa Nostra and stuff like that. But what, what really got me was like seeing these the way they lived on, on top of like ancient Rome, basically. So it's like you have project buildings and all these, you know, people fighting over basically scraps on what used to be the most important place in the world at one time, the capital of everything, you know, of human existence. So like that's what kind of like got me really into it. And then luckily when I was looking for an artist, I found Danielle, who's from Italy. And, you know, he's like, I've never seen Gamora, but it's like, I was like, you don't have to, I'm sure, man. Like you live <laughs> So he don't live in like that part of Italy or anything, but you know, he knows, you know, what I'm talking about anyway when I write stuff. And it's not all Italy, you know, there's like, you know, hints of New York, stuff like that, and then just other fantasy worlds and things, you know, whatever we come up with. But like his backgrounds, I can tell, like, you know, he kind of gets exactly what I mean. <laughs> like it's mm -hmm. working with an artist that that great. Um, so yeah, I would say it's more like um almost contemporary things have gotten me to go this way. Because like like you said, it's not funny really. It's um, a, a big thing is there's not really a main character. I don't want people to know who the main character is or if there is one, because I don't want anyone to feel safe about any character at any time. I don't want there to be like a plot armor thing where like people are like, oh, this guy's fine. You know, even mm -hmm. though this guy does sorcery, this guy, does, nobody's safe at any time. That's why at the back of every issue, there's a RIP section for the characters because you just never know who's going to be there, that kind of thing. So, you know, you got to respect the dead or whatever. But So how do you organize that many um, disparate plot lines and families and actions going on? Because I, I did feel like there were about five different, um, let's say, moves being made by people and just two issues. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I just It was just a lot of planning ahead, you know, like uh, I probably planned it out for at least a year before I even thought about putting the first script down and then meeting Danielle and stuff like that. So, you know, the whole world, I had to flesh it out. I had to flesh out the history of these creatures, where they come from, why they exist. And then the actual characters' motivations and stuff like that had, to, like you said earlier, making characters feel like we knew them, even if mm -hmm. you know, no one else knows them yet. Because that's the thing, like you said, there there is a lot going on. But I think I was inspired by something George R. R. Martin said, like he wrote Game of Thrones because television studios were telling him, you know, he had to like cut out all the characters. He had too many characters and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, man, I could put as many characters as I want in my stuff too. So that's kind of the thing. And I also wanted it to feel like. You know, you don't know what's going on. I wanted it to kind of be a mystery because the first six issues to me is just setting up the world. So like you're coming in, you don't know what the hell's going on. That's kind of a big part of it. I wanted it to be confusing kind of in a way. Like, you know what so, I mean? Like, yeah. oh, sorry. I yeah, well, are, are you going to write 60% of it, get us all addicted and then just stop writing it? Is that <laughs> I mean, if I become what you're telling us? If I become a, a billionaire like that asshole, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> no, probably not. You know what I mean? It's too much fun for me. Like, I mean, I feel like he got to a point where he wasn't having fun anymore. Yeah. But writing like just text and stuff like that, like I've written, you know, just novel attempts and, you know, short stories and stuff like that. But writing a comic book is so much more fun to me. So I don't think I'll ever have that problem. I mean, he clearly likes to write still. He's writing screenplays. He's doing, you know, all these other things. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I'll, I'll be fine. I'll keep you guys keep you guys so i won't yeah. leave you hanging not on purpose. Yeah. i die it, like zerk that's all yeah. i did tell my wife when she asked that question i said well he can write a 700 page novel and make six million or he can write a 200 page 
outline and make 150 million. So I guess yeah. I guess we know what he's gonna do. <laughs> and he's not getting any younger. I was in the 70s. He's almost 80. So yeah. like, yeah, I'm not mad at George R. R. Martin. And um, you know, the show kind of ruined the ending of that anyway. So like, yeah, don't worry, everybody. There right now, I don't have an ending planned for like the whole world or anything. But like, as far as like, I have a lot of story arcs planned, and I know mm -hmm. where they're gonna go and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I don't want to tell anybody who's going to be in the later. Yeah. Per perfect world. Um, how many arcs would this be? And since we're hitting issue three, how, how many issues would the first arc be when you complete it? So when I hit up uh, Daniel originally, I told him I wanted to do six issues. Mm -hmm. And like, then we'll see where we're at. You know, that's the whole story arc to me. Like, I know exactly how it's going to end. I like, I, you know, I don't know if I would say it's a cliffhanger, but it's, you know, it's more like an ending where it's like, oh, season two's coming kind of thing. Right. You know? Cause there's going to be a lot of characters. Like, all the creatures you've seen so far, like there's still not even a lot of the main players. Like there's dragons and stuff like that. They don't live in Thez because Thez is where we start out, you know. But eventually, mm -hmm. I'm gonna sprawl the whole world out, and you're gonna see everything, like all the other creatures. Because like, yeah, you know, elves run a big part of the world. So you know, in the way I describe it, I'm like, oh, elves run the world. But like, there were other more power, or maybe not more powerful, but equally powerful creatures that you know kind of have truces with that kind of thing. So we'll see what they're doing. There's giants that live on their own continent because it's not really safe for anyone else to live there and who they work with and why they exist and stuff like that. They're not really criminals or anything, but they need magic power to grow their crops and stuff like that. And it's a whole thing. And the whole history of fairies and giants goes back further than anything else. And that's that's a whole other thing that we'll get into. But um, yeah, I forget what the question was now. Kind of. No, that was a great answer. <laughs> oh, sorry, to sorry, sorry. To, quite um, honestly, though, but that just tells us that you've got a, a nice chunk and then you're going to see where you are from there and, and many places you could go after if you choose to that's that was a good answer even if you don't remember the question well, <laughs> yeah I, it kind of came back to me sorry about that i, I kind of got a question about plotting because I've, I've always been fascinated i mean looking back you know, if you look back at uh, team books like in the 80s you know paul levitz has this thing they call the levitz paradigm you know you have your a story your b story and your c story and the way he would promote those stories through issues. And buzz, I'm, buzz, curious, I'm, I'm curious how you kind of, you know, you, you've got your A, you know, A through line, your B, C, D, you know, however many plots you've got going on. Are you laying those out per issue and then delving into them and trying to develop a certain number of pages for them? Or are you letting them breathe more? Is it more organic? How, how are you doing that? Okay, so I would say right before I even started the arc, I planned it all out because I'm I'm used to writing screenplays. That's where I would say it was my main focus before I ever focused on comics. So I would always do an entire treatment, which is like writing out the screenplay as paragraphs. You know what I mean? This is what the scene is. You know, don't format it really. You just write it out as paragraph. So I basically did that. You know, I, I did a treatment of the entire story arc in my mind. And then, yeah, I just go issue by issue. And I decide like, you know, what needs to be said here like like in the second issue you see why an elf did something in the first issue for another elf you know what i mean you kind of you know you don't get that in the first issue. you're like why is this guy helping this guy and then you find out in the second issue why he owed him a favor and it was a pretty big favor so mm -hmm. um did i i knew that was going to happen in that way you know what i mean i even before the second issue was written or anything like i had that planned out in the treatment like in the third issue i knew the drill was coming out like that you see on the cover. I've been waiting to get to this, you know, since it, you know I started it out. You know, I wanted to have like a scene where dwarves get to use their fantasy powers and basically a uh, crime fight, you know, a gunfight situation. So you know, it's, it's something you would never see in any kind of like Fargo or mm -hmm. you know, the I mean? no, Peaky Blinders or anything mm -hmm. like that. You know what I mean? This is something that just could never be done anywhere else. So I'm finally getting to do that because we've set the world up enough that I can get freak, you know, fantasy with it, fantastical with it, whatever. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. But um, so yeah, I would say I go arc first, issue by issue. And like right now, I, I write the whole third issue out, right? So me and Danielle are still working on it. So every time he sends me a page, I still gotta in my mind redo. I'm still editing. And mm -hmm. then um, yeah, so I don't I don't work on the the like actual principal fourth issue script until I would say there's like five pages left to be finished by Danielle on this. So I really know what I want because sometimes I'll change things, you know, and then um, certain characters, maybe I like to see more now. And so I want to add them and stuff like it, things happen almost like where I've read about things like, say, Breaking Bad, for instance, where Aaron Paul is supposed to die in the first season and he becomes Jesse Pinkman who gets his own spinoff movie and all these things. So it's like, yeah, to me, it's always evolving in my mind 
So like nothing is set in stone until it's until you know we print it, and then <laughs> that's the world. Then I gotta then I gotta work around. You gotta live if it's a mistake. You gotta live with it at that point. Yeah. So Tyra yeah. put in the uh, comments: world building, a big challenge, a big payoff, and best of success to you. And one thing that I think really both both these projects we're talking about tonight have is expansive world building where you trusted the audience to not give it all to us immediately. It's sort of like you found the story within your world building both on both of these. Whereas I think both of you could have started your, your comics with, you know, a, a 400 year history. And the by crawl. the time, yeah, by the, yeah, the Star Wars boat, baby. <laughs> but you're crawling in the desert looking for water. And by the time we get to it, we're, we're kind of dead eyed. And I really want to, you know, applaud both of you for just, throwing us into your worlds and getting into the story and letting your audience catch up to you. I think that's what I like. I love world building where I am trusted as a reader to figure it out um, as opposed to being spoon fed. Um, so I think you both did a great job to it and we put it up earlier, but I just need to read it. Blake uh, says, I need to see the dragons. <laughs> so uh, you do. Uh, you do need to we're, we're going to, we're going to do that. Let's uh, let's check out the page for a little bit. I'm going to pull it up. Let's do it. But as far as that goes, too, I was inspired um, by the Dark Souls games where they don't tell you shit when you're playing them and you better mm. either die or get the fuck out. So um, that really inspired me to just write my story like that. Kind of like, you know, if you don't like it, go ahead and leave. I mean, you can come back issue 20 when we got it all flushed out for you. You know, Right. But I also put the um, like there's a Fez report, it's called, and it's the lore, you know. So, you know, it used to just be digital and everybody would get it. And now I, I even connected it to the digital comics. So there's deluxe versions when you get issue one and two now, and it's at mm -hmm. the back. And my sister put that together with me. Like I wrote it and she did all the um the clippage kind of stuff and used Danielle's art. So the Fez report is all the lore that we fill in all these blanks, like who are these people, why are they important, stuff like that. For the people that do want a little bit more um you know fleshed out characters so right now with this page we have um the the lore package instead of doing a variant cover i just want to print the lore book so you get more story instead of just the same comic with a different cover i kind of feel like you know it's not worth double the price to do that to people so that's why I, this time i don't know if a lot of people understand that because that's not as popular as variant ones have been for me in the past mm -hmm. but yeah the lore book i feel like you know that's where it's at for people that want more magic powder. You've got to get that lore book. The Fez report it's called. And it's, and even see issue four will explain what the Fez report even is. Like, how is this even possible? Who's writing this? How could they see all these things? You know what I'm saying? But there's actually an explanation behind it all that I've been waiting to show you guys. So I'm looking forward to that as well. That's part of the whole planning process, but yeah, there's so many big characters. Like I just, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I just enjoy, uh, Movies like Snatch, I guess, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoke of Barrels, where it's like nonstop, boom, 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 an hour and a half, and you can introduce 20 characters that you fall in love with. Like, if you could do that in an hour and a half, I could do that in 20 issues. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. I think I just can't. Because there's no comic book to me. And I love to read comics, but there's nothing that reminds me of Magic Powder, which is a big inspiration to me making it. Mm. Like, I don't know, like Sin City kind of a little bit, but that's real focused on one character piece at a time, you know? Mm -hmm. And then. I don't know. There's a lot of fantasy stuff out there. Shadow Run doesn't really have comics, but it's like a board game that is a contemporary fantasy with a lot of elements I have. But that's cyberpunk, and I didn't want to go that way, really. So, like, there's not a lot of cyberpunk because I didn't want to rip off Shadow Run because I, I do love Shadow Run. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> it's also not a comic book, so or not that I know of anyway. I know D and D has their comics now and stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's a big reason I think Magic Power is kind of drawing in a lot of people who I know that have never backed comics before i've never even read comics on own comics because it's just you know it's a little something different and so I, i'm trying to keep that freshness for everybody every every issue you know and so i know a lot of times i'm talking about my comic and i don't bring up a lot of comic references because i just don't feel like there are many that go with it yeah richard hewitt says i've so pictured it being guy richie snatch-esque brilliant hey rich so. in the house see richard uh he got the comic from sadie out in in England, you know, I have some people I send the comic to in England, and that's the first comic he ever had in his life. He said it was Magic Power One and Two. He just got them like within the last month, and he's out there. He lives out there in England. He's like, man, my first two comics. He read them. He said he loves them. He's always out cool. here retweeting me now, and like, yeah, like it's just cool. Like that. That's what I'm talking about, really. Welcome to the wonderful world of comics, Richard. The exactly. water is fine. 
<laughs> yeah, jump yeah. in, man. Yeah. Now, and that's they aren't thing. all as good as magic powder, but a lot of them get close. There's some greatness out there. There's so much greatness out there. Yeah. Like do a power bomb is one of these things I'm hooked on right now. Um, yeah, there's just a, a million great comments. Tights. Uh, I just got my tights uh, uh, reward survey the other day. I love tights. Um, Tracovi. I mean, there's a million comments. The thing is, like, you know, there's there's not enough magic powder to get your fix. Like, that's only enough to start a pile. You got to yeah. start building your pile now. And so, like, I just love being someone that brings people into the comic world, you know? Yeah. Richard says, yep, newbie here, but what a comic to start with for my first. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I just feel like, you know, honored that people, like, even, like, Justin was saying earlier, like, yeah, like, a lot of people are coming to him, you know, getting their first fix right now. And it's just cool, man. Like, I don't know. It's something about it. Well, and yeah, I'm like, let's stop for a second. What was your first comic around the table? What was your first comic that that you read that that grabbed you and and addicted you? Because I can tell you it was, for me, X-Men 194, Nimrod, friggin' Rogue takes Colossus and Nightcrawler's powers to fight Nimrod. Friggin', I, I didn't know what was going on, but I knew it was the greatest thing I had ever been involved with my entire life. And I'm still reading comics, you know, from 13 to 47 from that one friggin' issue. And Rogue is still my favorite character. So Rogue's a badass. See, with me, I don't. I guess I'll go next because on the screen, I get we're gonna pass it to that side. But um, so to me, like I love you know X Men, Ninja Turtles, Batman, all that stuff. But it's because of the cartoons. The real thing that made me go to the comic shop and start buying issues and like actually finding a local comic store was The Walking Dead. Honestly. Oh, cool. Yeah, which is also obviously heavily influenced by movies like I am. So that, that was a big part of it, I think, too. Josh, what about mm-hmm. you? Um, Silver Surfer number 75 uh, that has the uh, the embossed chrome Silver Surfer on the cover. And then the background is just like 100 characters. And that was me as a kid, you know, total blind by zero clue what world i was in who all these characters were you know it's because it's all the cosmic marvel characters right Mm -hmm. so it's not even stuff you're going to see in cartoons usually so i was just thrust into the middle of it and i was just enamored i was like i need to know everything about these characters and the next thing i did as a kid was got all those like uh those marvel like character guides Mm -hmm. that they had the single issue ones you know and that's how I learned, you know, about half these characters I was reading. And I, from there, it was like um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, but the um, the team that was like set in the future, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not anything like current. Um, and then it was all X-Men for years after that. Mm-hmm. I was and it was just um, it was all X-Men for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Claremont Claremont made a lot made a lot of cultists in that yeah. time period. And God, God love him for it. Yeah. I will. You're next. But Tightrod said Nimrod, Sentinels in the future, named it, not thinking it would ever be sent back in time to a place where its name would elicit laughter. <laughs> yes, that yeah. is very true. <laughs> and we that got another program. rogue fan in the house. God bless you. <laughs> uh, for me, man, I got hooked early. I mean, I must have been five or six, but I remember picking up. Or somebody, mom probably picked up an issue of Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Green Green Lantern, Green Arrow, like one twenties, one thirties, where you know, of course, he's got. I think he's falling to his death because his ring's falling off his finger. Which mm. don't get me started. But ah. <laughs> you know, it's just some goofy, you know, early eighties, late seventies kind of thing. And but uh, you know, the Avengers, and and growing up in rural Arkansas, I. I probably studied those official handbooks of Marvel Universe more than I studied anything else. I mean, I could almost quote some of those big art. That's why I wear glasses to this day. Thank you, Marvel, right? (laughs) (laughs) Reading all that text. Uh, But God, I love those official handbooks. I think I've got the uh, omnibuses back over there somewhere. Yeah, I can uh, see them. (laughs) We gave gave my daughter one of those when she was like just learning how to read. And they're just, she knows so many more characters than I do because she just memorized front to back that entire thing. Any, do you know, he, this is somebody's sister who married this person and and then changed into a man. I'm like, I don't know any of that. That must've been in like the 12 years where I was out of it, but uh, God bless you. God bless you for knowing it. I believe you. Well, and all the pseudoscience that they would use to explain how all the powers work. You're like, 
cool that would work in real life no you know, right. <laughs> i just love that stanley got sick of trying to learn that pseudoscience he's just like mutants well mutants yeah mutants. you know there you go i i was i was like I read this and I was like, that's freaking brilliant. You know, I, Mark Grunewald, uh, Peter Sanderson, whoever wrote this, it's brilliant. You know, like, what is magic? It's energy not on the electromagnetic spectrum. I went, oh, hey, that's freaking brilliant. <laughs> I never thought mm -hmm. of it that way. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And Tightrope says the classic panels were two characters are in a high action moment spouting half a paragraph to each other during a single punch. <laughs> yeah. That, that that might not have aged as well, but gosh darn it, that is some good comics. You know, like it, it's great, you know. I, I do I'm reminded of John Byrne wanting to quit the X-Men when he drew two pages uh, that were supposed to show how strong Colossus is. And it is him grabbing a tree and pulling it straight out of the ground. And then Chris Claremont wrote like 500 words about this incredible struggle of man versus nature and Newton versus the anchoring. And he can bear, he's about to crumble. And finally, and John Byrne is like, I quit. I'm quit. <laughs> That's hilarious. But the first but one of the, actually, yeah. oh, my bad. I was going to say, no, the first go, time go, I actually go, go. remember reading. It was like a Namor comic. And I think he was trying to mess with the Kingpin. And the Kingpin sent out the rhino and started kicking his ass and knocked him into like a fountain. And that was the end of the fucking rhino at that point. Yeah, because he got so, the power from the water. Yeah. And then the first comic I remember like owning, owning, like I had a Warlock comic, like, and it was a foil cover. And I don't remember the number. But like, yeah, those are the first like old ones. Like I remember having, like, I never like collected at the time, you know, like we just, my brother would have a comic or I would have a comic or my cousin would randomly have some Batman. Like he had like Batmans that were like not even the same series, you know, like right. you would just read anything. But the thing we had too was the cards. So like you'd oh, have yeah. the whole X-Men set. You could read all their origin stories off the back of the cards. And so like, I don't know, because I think my dad thought, you know, the cards would be collector's eye, like worth some money. So that's why he bought us the cards and stuff. And I don't think they're worth anything, but I still got all my cards. So that's pretty awesome. Actually, there was a book that just came out uh, on those Jim Lee X-Men cards, which is really cool because it reprints a lot of the art, you know, at a larger size, which oh, man. I, it was just really cool. You know, that, yeah. that brings back a lot of. Uh, I thought that Jim Lee was going to make it. I wonder what happened to him. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. So, like, He'll yeah, make I'm... it one day. He'll make it one day. Yeah, if he sticks with it, I, I do think he's still, <laughs> he'll, he'll finally hit his groove. Well, um, let's, let's do another quick 30 seconds on each project in case people have come in. I don't want to close it off without giving people another chance. We're still on magic powder. So Jeff, once again, in case somebody just got here, how would you uh, introduce magic powder to, to magic. A, a complete newbie? All right. So magic powder is the breaking bad meets Lord of the Rings that every comic book fan has always wanted and never had a chance to really read. And so here it is. Now we're three issues in. The entire world is under turmoil. You'll see that on the very first page. Even when you go to the Kickstarter, the campaign page is just a mess because the entire city is just a mess right now. No one knows who's running what. No one knows who's going for who. Everything's just, you know, almost anarchy basically at this point. Oh, oh hold on. <laughs> if you like college football, we got that for you too. <laughs> and that's pretty much it, I would say. So it's basically, you know, the Scorsese, Tarantino, Grand Theft Auto, all these things that I just grew up loving, mix them with a fantasy genre because I felt like it never really been done. And now it's a comic book. And uh, hopefully, I don't know, I just want to make it forever. Hopefully, Danielle wants to make it forever too. And that's going to be that. Awesome. Well, hey, um, moving around, Josh, can you give us a a quick pitch to anybody that uh, you know, maybe come in late about the Winchester house. Yeah. So um, the Winchester mystery house is based on a true story. It's about one of the most haunted mansions in the world. It was the inspiration for Stephen King's Rose red Shirley Jackson's haunting of Hill house. Uh, it, Disney's haunted mansion. It is basically the original American haunted Gothic mansion that spawned an entire subgenre of fiction. Um, it is about uh, Sarah Winchester, who was the heiress to the Winchester repeating arms fortune. And after losing her family and inheriting half of the massive rifle company's fortune, she spent the rest of her life building this gigantic 
mansion to house all of the ghosts of everyone who had ever been killed by a Winchester rifle. And they never stopped building until the day she died, which was 100 years ago as of September 5th. And uh, now we are celebrating the centennial of the house's completion. And it's thought that all those ghosts are still living in this house to this day. And That's right crazy. now it is sold out uh, through Simon & Schuster. It is sold out through Diamond Comic Distributors. It is sold out at Source Point Press. Uh, the only place you can get any of the comics or the trade paperback is if you can find a retailer who still has some. Or you can come to the backer kit. Or I have an extra issue of number two. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on a gold mine accidentally. Um, oh, I forgot to mention this too. Yeah. For anybody who's interested, um, uh, we had some beautiful covers. Uh, uh, you should see the, the B covers that Ryan Quackenbush did. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, Hot Topic uh, very graciously decided to make T-shirts of all of the comic book covers. So um, if you go to hottopic.com and just type in Winchester Mystery House, we have a whole bunch of, uh, of shirts. It's really cool. That is awesome. All right, gentlemen, you can hang with us at this point. We're going to talk about the campaigns for um, some some the projects that are still live that we've already talked about. We're going to do this for you guys as long as you're still uh, live as well. You can hang with us, or if if it's dinner time or bedtime, you can also uh, go eat or sleep depending on on your situation. Uh, uh, I just backed Jeff's campaign. Now let's see who else you've got for me. I'm gonna back. That's that. That's <laughs> what, that's what we got. We got we got the. Ex this is the explain yourself bump in real time. Yeah, <laughs> living it. That's all awesome. right. Okay, you got your sweet tooth with you because we got chocolate and tea. That's right. GE Gallus is um, the picture of Dorian Gray chocolate bar. Uh, this is a, a comic creator, but she, her, her her side hustle, her business that pays the bills is making um, chocolates based on books in the public domain. And this new chocolate is strawberries and juniper berries and a dark chocolate. There's a matching tea. And there's also probably 10 different chocolates that you can um you can taste in that. Uh, go check out that page because that is um, so cool. I see that posted on Twitter, and I didn't even really kind of get what it was. And now that you explained it to me, I'm like, man, that is I mean, like that's so got, yeah really different. You know, and no she one, really yeah. like goes down deep in the weeds. The Sherlock Holmes uses Earl Grey tea in the chocolate, and a couple what? other things. Uh, there's a there's a um, a matcha tea, and it's all based on. Like reading the novel, seeing what the characters are like are into. Because the strawberries and juniper for Dorian Gray, one of the characters likes to snack on those, I believe she told us. So that's why she built the chocolate around it. It's a super cool campaign, really yeah, unique so cool. and really interesting. And, uh, you know, we get chocolate. So that's that's <laughs> extraordinary. Um, and we had Chucky e. P and Sean Barber on for the Belial. Belial is kind of like oh, the first on. ruler of hell. Um, who has decided um, to, to take it back over from Lucifer and the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. The cool thing about this that we learned last week is Sean, that was Sean's idea, and Chuck came in and decided to make it a balls-out comedy. And that was kind of fun to, to see how, you know, the writer took it over and had this crazy idea to make it this very uh, dark story into a comedy. But, you know, Chuck's huge friend of the show, great dude. I just got to be on a show with them both, actually. Uh, and I, I don't even think it was planned to be both of them. It was just supposed to be Chuck. And then, uh, you know, everybody was crashing the party. It was on Blake's Buzz the other night. Man. And, like, yeah, Belial, like, it's just stuck in my head now all the time. I keep thinking about, like, all the things they were telling. Like, yeah, it's just a totally, like, that's the comedy. Like, when we were talking about how my thing is not a comedy, like, if you're looking for a comedy comic, that's the one right now. <laughs> yeah. It's clerks like, <laughs> in hell or something like that, you know? Yeah, and, and and some and some demons who don't always wear the uh, the top parts of their clothes. So if you if you're into that, that you get it with Belial, and that's uh, that's okay too. They were explaining uh, how the there's Kickstarter logos over all the nudity to yes. make sure they can run their Kickstarter campaign. I'm like, that's genius. Yeah, but you, it it almost brings more attention to it, so it, it's oh, actually totally. a really smart thing to do. Yeah, um, yeah the fact Russell that Kickstarter Nolte, was cool with it is nice. Yeah. Russell Nolte is ending his Ichabod uh, Jones uh, four volume story. So this is the final one. I It's one of my two favorite things that Russell does, Pixie Dust and um, uh, Ichabod is my favorite two things. And Ichabod is 
either an insane man who's murdering a bunch of innocent people or the chosen one who's saving us all from um, a, uh, a, 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 you know, I don't know, wh whatever's coming. And I've only read three volumes, so I'm, not, I'm still not sure. And that, there's really that, no, there's really no in between either. It's no, no, because he's definitely <laughs> killing something. And we just don't know whether they deserved it or not. That's like um, a frailty situation. Yeah. yeah. But Russell was cool. We did a little yeah. uh, cross promotion. He hit me up and reached out, which is awesome. So I'm sure some of my yeah. backers came from him. So that was nice of him. No, nah, Russell, Russell is a, a, we can all learn a little bit from Russell. Um, we have baby barbarian. This is another fantasy comedy. Um, young adult slash you know all ages basically a kid sits on a chair that takes him to a land of all games and fun or, or some some semblance of that where there are no rules no no work and uh just a, a goofy comedy and i really felt like you know you had talked about what daniel did on in the uh in in the artwork in the back adding this the artist on this is like it looked like a mad magazine yep. because in the foreground is all your plot and in the background is insanity <laughs> uh a lot of fun uh definitely cool and good good for young, young adults and e even a little bit younger probably like seven and older maybe even younger but very cool little story and i think the last one is jack holders Legends yep. of the Realm, and the cool thing about this one is Jack is kind of exploring what perspective means in a story. So you're kind of seeing the same thing happening from multiple perspectives and seeing how the story morphs depending on who is seeing the action and who is telling the action. And like Jack said, it's not necessarily untrue when one person says it differently than another. So he's really looking into perspectives and kind of experimental in that way. And I'm really excited to see what they got. Um, and uh, I, one other one, uh, ooh, we she, got... she just launched, but uh, she's a friend of the show too. Uh, the Alchemist of Aurelia. Yes. Um, MJ Massey, yes. Yep. And it is, uh, I think, number three of that series. So she's she does that one and another one, I think uh, it's a black ball. Is that what it is? Don't right? remember. Yeah, I don't remember. I'm not even drunk, and I don't remember. Yeah. So, <laughs> We're just it's just old, the man. football is distracting. <laughs> well, yeah. So you know what, guys? I really appreciate it. I had a blast. I got to find out what happened. Uh, <laughs> I don't have. I am to leave. You. I know. Oh, this is <laughs> this, over. This is me distracted, guys. Can you imagine <laughs> if I had been on my game? Uh, Kevin, uh, we, we've really got to dive deeper into this Claremont X Men stuff. Okay. And so. goodbye. <laughs> Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now